All right. If you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. That's where we'll be this morning, and we're continuing, finishing this little small three-week series on discipleship beneath the surface. So we are often very uh, good, good's not the right word for it, we got a lot of practice at being superficial people. <laughs> and sadly, even in the church, we've been taught to do life a lot of times just on the surface. And that's why even amongst ourselves sometimes we can sniff out when people are being fake, when people are trying to put on a show, when people are trying to just be something they're not. And so we've talked about how the power of our past impacts that, that it's not, you're not going off course to think about how your family of origin has affected you. The scriptures teach us that's a wise and appropriate pathway to consider if we're going to be faithful disciples. We talked last week about how we need to actually boast in our weaknesses. That's what Paul says to do. Our culture around us oftentimes tells us, be strong. And Paul says it's the opposite. He said, look at all these great things I did, but my courage did not come by having a stiff upper lip. My courage came by being a man, a follower of Jesus, who embraced his weakness, who talked about his weaknesses, who boasted in his weaknesses. Not so that the weaknesses were the point, but so that the power of Christ may rest on him. So don't let anybody tell you that it's wrong for you to share your weaknesses openly. But also, don't stop there. Let's get to the good news of the gospel and let's live out of the power of Christ. And this week, and in every one of these, I'm, I'm growing, trust me, this one really might blow your minds today because we're going to talk about receiving the gift of limits. And so here we go. Mark 1, 32 through 39. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Set us apart to be your people in the world, but not of the world. Salt and light, a city on a hill. Through shaping our lives in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. We ask you to help us do that even now in his name. Amen. Probably most of you in here are familiar with the, the, the Tupperware bin or the Rubbermaid bin. I couldn't think of the right word. I should have asked somebody before I got up here and started talking. Do you know what I'm talking about? The big bins that you move in. Well, one of the ways that we have really enjoyed these bins in some of the redneckery of our family is when it snows, we have hooked these up with a rope to the end of our cars. So one particular time in Arkansas, and you know we live in the south, so when it snows, it's a really big deal, right? You don't know when it's going to happen again. We've not had a good snow. And so we, well, of course, we don't own the sleds, you know, like maybe normal people would. Or you're like, why are you going to go to Ace Hardware and spend $100 or $200 on that that you might use once every five years? No judgment if you've done that. 
But we just are like, hey, we've got these big tupper, these big bins. Why don't we just tie these up to the back of the car and drive it around the neighborhood? Now, that's a good idea, and it's a lot of fun, but you might not be surprised to learn that that maybe isn't the best idea in the world and that they weren't made for that. And so we had a lot of fun also watching these things kind of disintegrate and bust up and our children lay in the middle of the road. Using a good thing in the wrong way will wear it out. If you do not respect the limits that come with your life, then, then you're going to wear yourself out. There's so many people who are weary and mourn and possibly even feel like they're wasting their time because they've not accepted limits, not just as an obstacle in our lives, but actually as a gift from the Lord. And we could have used our text last week to do this again, but we're, we're disciples of Jesus, right? So we're going to see today that Jesus embraced the gift of limits. If you don't like the word gift, use the word reality. Jesus embraced the reality of limits. One writer says this, that people who are healthy disciples understand their limits. They joyfully, re, re, joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten talents God has graciously distributed. And as a result of accepting who they are, their limits, they're not frenzied, they're not covetous, and they don't try living a life that God never intended for them to live. They can be marked by contentment. Remember Paul said last week, right? Not only do I boast of my weaknesses, I'm content with my weaknesses and joy. I'll never forget this, but one, at some church function we were at, this girl who I've not talked to in forever, her and her husband, Murray and Lakin, text them this morning to remind them of this. I remember Lakin saying these words, and she probably stole them from a book or something, but anyway. Comparison is a joy killer. And man, that stuck with me wherever she got it from. And I hope it sticks with you. Comparison is a joy killer. Comparison can be a life killer. The gospel is the good news through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been set free from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. But it's also the good news that we've been set free from the idols and the wounds and the lies that seek to lead us into living lives as if we're limitless. As if we can be everything. As if we can be everywhere. As if we can be all the things that God wants us to be in every way that He has created every person in the history of the world. And it's just not true. Sadly, we've even created cultures within the church that expect people to live as if they have no limits. We have potential and we have limitations. But we must receive the reality of limits. How do we do that? The first thing is, we're already going there, you've got to acknowledge the reality of limits. We see this in our text. Jesus acknowledged the reality of limits. Notice verse 32 again. That evening at sundown. I want you to see the scene here. Why at sundown? Because that's when Sabbath's over, right? So if you don't know, that's how this, the Sabbath worked in this culture. It was sun, sundown to sundown, right? 
and everybody knows Jesus can heal and cast out demons. So they've literally like just been waiting, watching their clocks, right? It's like Black Friday. Is that, is that, am I saying that right? Black Friday, yeah. All right. I have lots of glitches. So just imagine, they're all waiting, right? Here's the one who can finally heal me. Here's the one who can finally deliver me. And Jesus does that, right? He loves them. He heals them. He delivers them. And then what does he do? Verse 35, he leaves them. He departs to go be in a desolate place while it was still dark. Why do you think he went while it was still dark? He's sneaking away. He's getting away. Do you not, do you think if you have a, if you are paralyzed, do you give a rip what time of the day it is? No, you want to be healed. Jesus, you can do your quiet time later. But Jesus acknowledged a limit of space. He needed to depart and focus on his relationship with the Father. He says in John, I only do what, I, what the Father tells me to do, right? And while Jesus was in a state, as we all should be, of continual relationship with the Father, we see here Jesus departed to a dark and a desolate place. Like he went where, he was, where it was hard to find him. How do we know that? The disciples we see here have to search for him. They got to go looking for him. But also there was limits of place. We see this in this text in terms of Jesus departing to be away from the Father. But also verse 38, he says, let's go on to the next towns. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And one of the limitations that he brought into his life as being human meant that he was not at all places at all times. Jesus didn't like say, okay, this will work better if I, like, have a hologram ministry of myself everywhere. Could have did that. He couldn't be in more than one place at one time. So he had limits of space to focus with the Father, limits of place, but he also had limits of time. He had to move on, right? That word next. Let's go to the next towns. That's a time word. Jesus had a time frame he had to work within that limited him. And not in this text, but in John chapter 4, we see Jesus also had limits of energy. In John 4, 6, as Jesus comes to meet the woman at the well, it said he was wearied from his journey. He got hungry. He got thirsty. In Mark 4, 35, he gets sleepy. He sleeps in a storm. He cries. He weeps. Do we know this Jesus as we're being discipled by him? Pete Cazero says, I think, this is good to hear. Jesus did not heal every sick and demon-possessed person. He went to the next town, didn't he? There was somebody at the end of the line, and Jesus said, let's go to the next town. He did not build a great church in Capernaum when they begged him to remain in the city. He refused to let certain people follow him, such as the Gadarene Demonite who had been delivered. He prayed all night. He chose only 12 disciples. That's a limit. Others were undoubtedly, and here's a word a lot of us have a hard time with, disappointed in him. 
Jesus did not run after the crowds when they defected from him after he delivered a difficult teaching in John 6. Jesus did not go in person to meet the needs of everyone in Europe, Africa, Asia, or the Americas. Yet he prayed at the end of his life, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. It is absurd to not acknowledge our limits. And in some ways, it's blasphemous and idolatrous to think that we can be a more whole human than Jesus was. As a kid, I thought that I could fly. Weird imagination. John just prayed that I'd have a holy imagination. Weird imagination. But really, my th this sounds like I'm from a different century. My mom made me a cape from an old flower sack. But anyway, she did, right? And so this old flower sack from my grandma's and drew the Superman logo on the back of it. And, you know, you just tied it around your neck. And I would run as fast as I can and jump off the porch. And in my mind, you know, there's faith and foolishness, right? It's a blurry line there sometimes. In my mind, I thought if I believe hard enough and if I run hard enough and jump hard enough, I can fly. Guess what? I was wrong. Would somebody telling me if I said, you know what? I think the problem is the height. Mama, I can't jump off porches. It doesn't show my faith. And I shouldn't jump off porches because I, I don't have enough time to be in the air to like get my groove. I'm going to go find, go to the courthouse in town and jump. Is my mama now becoming a dream crusher because she's not going to let me do that? No. <laughs> she's becoming a dream saver because there's limits. Would that have been courageous for me to go and jump off of that courthouse and die? Oh, what a courageous young man. He defied his limits. No. But could it be that there's some area in your life where you're refusing to acknowledge the reality of your limits? And it's leaving you weary and worn and maybe angry at God, at others. The reality is, you can't do it all. Jesus didn't do it all. Now some of us can fake it better than others, right? But it catches up. We're back to comparison as a joy killer. It's a life killer. But, but my mom, she somehow could get it all done. My dad somehow did this. These people on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and social media, they can do it. Why can't I do it? Right? And we pitch our grown-up fit. Why do they get to do it all? Why can they do it all? Well, first off, just go talk to them in real life and the people they live in their closest relationships with, and you'll get a different story. Guaranteed. I promise you. But we have got to accept that not all people have the same capacity, the same giftedness, and the same seasons of life, and it's just reality. 
You know, you read, even as a pastor, you read these biographies. Charles Spurgeon is one of the ones who are just like, where does this go from being inspiring to just like utterly depressing? Well, you know, I read two books a week, pre preach sermons that people want to copy and send all over the world. I oversee an orphanage, and I have a school. We're doing all these things. And I'm not saying it's related to this, but it's... And then I die in my early 50s, you know. I don't know. But we seek to live out a script often that's not our script. I'm going to be the super mom. I'm going to be the super student, super dad, the super kid, the super worker. And we're human. We have limits, just like Jesus did, of space to be with God, places to be, of time, and of energy. And if we can't handle that reality, that reality will catch up with us. So we've got to acknowledge it, but then we've got to adjust for it. We see in our text that Jesus does not merely acknowledge the reality of limits. He makes adjustments in his life for those. This is where it gets hard. Right? And we see that Jesus, if we were to look earlier in Mark, and we didn't put these verses up here, Jesus knew who he was. Right? Even in his baptism, in chapter 1, verse 11, the Father says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus knows that he's fully God and he's fully man. Jesus knows what it's meant for him, as we read in Philippians 2, not to lose any of his divinity in becoming human, but to take on those limitations. He knew that. He accepted that. And he's going to adjust for that. He knew how the Spirit was leading him. In Mark 1, verse 12, the Spirit leads him out in the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy, to prepare him for this next season. He knew his calling in verse 14, 13 and 14. His calling is to preach the kingdom of God and to call people to repent and turn and believe. And he knew his situation. Jesus was a single, homeless man with about 12 real close friends and a broader band of disciples who lived in, came from Galilee, who was an Israelite. That's who he was. And that brought about a lot of good things in his life, but it also brought out a lot of limits. Jesus didn't have a house for his ministry to operate out of. So if you're waiting to have a home before you can start making disciples and living in community, just remind yourself, Jesus, no house. But he adjusted. What did he do? How do we see this in his text? And we're going to, this is going to be very cyclical today, a little differently. He prioritized time with the Father. That was a need that he had. But it meant he had to say no to other things to say yes to that. And he adjusted his life so much that he said, this is so important, I'm going to do this in a dark time in a desolate place. I'm going to have to hide. Everybody wants me so much, I'm going to have to find out how to hide. Was that being unloving? No, unless you're going to really mess up all the things that the Bible teaches about Jesus. Jesus not only prioritized time with his Father, but he prioritized 
the focus of his calling, which was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Notice again what it says here in verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. So Jesus is a ministry of preaching, of teaching, of healing, of deliverance. But at the heart is for him to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And he knows that's it. And I'm, I've been called to do this in all these towns within this limited amount of time, so that means i got to say goodbye to people and move on. But he also continued to show his power in many places because of this adjustment. Verse 39, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Acknowledging our limits should lead us to adjusting our limits versus just doing the next good thing. Sometimes people call this the tyranny of the urgent. We live a reactive life. We don't accept our limits. We say, I'm just going to do the next good thing that comes up in front of me. That is not what Jesus did. He adjusted his life based on the reality of limits to make priorities in his life for the sake of bringing the good news of the kingdom in the time and in the calling of the Father. I'm sure we hear stories of people overcoming all odds. Don't you just love the movie Rudy, right? It's great. I love that stuff. But what also happens oftentimes is we see people living lives that are an illusion and a delusion, right? Someone who can't get a job, right, or isn't being able to feed their family, true stories, right? And you ask them, hey, well, this place is hiring over here. And will they say, well, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about going back to college. Not a bad thing, right? Trying to be a dream crusher. But maybe you and your family need to eat first. There's others of us in our life, right, that we have dreams that are so big. Again, I'm not, I, have, I, don't, I don't want this here the wrong way. I've got a lot of fear in saying a lot of these things. But the reality is we have limits in our lives. And we can resent those or we can receive those. There's a dangerous lie that's in our culture, again, that I don't want to be heard the wrong way, and that is you can be anything you want. I'm probably not going to play offensive line in the NFL. Some of you are like, just tell me I can't do it and I'll do it. <laughs> All right. None of y'all are going to play offensive line in the NFL. Prove me wrong. Maybe Noah will. I'm talking to the older people. <laughs> right? Josh Gilbert says, I'm going to prove him wrong. Right? Now he's going to go spend the rest of his life trying to be an offensive lineman in an L. And guess what he's going to miss? His life. The 15-year-old boy, imagine that it actually is fitted for offensive line, but he has a parent who says, you should be the quarterback. These things happen. You, know. you should be the quarterback. And so he tries, but he ends up worn out, discouraged, and weary until one day he accepts it and then he becomes the greatest offensive lineman in the world. 
you see, when we adjust to the reality of limits in the way of Christ, it's not that our dreams get smaller. Our dreams actually get bigger. Author Willa Cather said it this way, to know an artist's limitations is but to define his talent. Nora Jones, I think we have a baby in our church named after Nora Jones. may not be true. I think I heard Joe say that the other day. Whose first album sold 26 million copies and won eight Grammys. She said, your limitations create your sound. Phil Hansen, an artist. I've heard of the other two. I haven't heard of this guy. He said, embracing limitation actually drives creativity. We need first to be limited in order to become limitless. He had hand trimmers that limited the mediums in which he could work, but he used those limits to bring out his individuality and giftedness to the world. So we have to adjust to the reality of limits. Now we need wisdom here. Now sadly, what Christians don't always like is when things aren't cookie cutter. And this is not cookie cutter, right? It's just not. So you're not going to get to go out of here today and be a Pharisee about this and judge everybody else so that you feel more secure in yourself, right? We're not about that type of discipleship here, if you don't know that. Like, man, if I'm going to accept my limits, then for me to feel good, y'all have got to all accept your limits. It, sadly, we just do that all the time. So here's some things to think about in the way of wisdom. We need some guards, the world, the flesh, and the devil can take this way of limits and cause the lazy people in here to say, Woohoo, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me. <laughs> that ain't what's happening. But follow Jesus here. Jesus didn't say, I got limits, I'm going to party. Right? Jesus said, I got limits, now how do I steward those limits for the sake of the calling that God has put on my life? So obedience, first of all, is never a question of limits. Some of you may be in a really hard marriage or a really hard relationship, and you can't say, this marriage has just pushed my limits. I'm out. See you later. I don't mean to be negative about that. Being a parent, right? Kids, they're just pushing my limits. Kids to parents, pushing my limits. I'm done. I quit. I receive the gift of limits. I hate my boss. I'm quitting work. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, doesn't he? And Jesus says... You're doing good, but in this particular case, I want you to let go of your idol of money. Jesus doesn't say, well, that's your limit, you know. You love money, receive the gift of loving money as your limit. No. Obedience to the Word of God is never an issue of limits. Priorities are not a question of limits. Jesus is Mary and Martha are there, and I'm assuming some Bible knowledge here, is Mary's praying or spending communing with Jesus, and Martha's busy in the kitchen, Jesus doesn't say, hey, Martha, I know you're just a Martha in a Mary world, or Mary in a Martha world, or whatever. You know, you just keep being you in the kitchen. No, he actually looks at Martha and says, you've missed the better portion. Character flaws are not a question of limits. Again, Trust me, I found some really good YouTubes that justify videos that say that it's okay that I'm not a morning person. And I like to share those with my wife. But just being lazy, I'm not saying I am, that's not like a, a limit, right? Read the book of Proverbs. Loving your neighbor is your posture. 
Now, we're going to get to this in a minute, how it's not your job if we have time to just always meet every need, or we would just like, that's all we'd be doing is meeting everybody's needs, right? Non-stop, guarantee you. But loving your neighbor is your posture. We're not going to be like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the great Samaritan who are just like, sorry, I see you dying over there, but I got my limits. But we're stretching that parable beyond what Jesus' intent was if, we, if Jesus then means, you know, hey, you're about to be late for work every day because there's endless needs. But loving your neighbor is a posture. is not about limits. And then not to make this harder for us to discern, but sometimes even our abilities aren't. Moses was not gifted at speech. Go and read in Exodus chapter 4. And Moses said to God, how can I be your spokesman? I'm a horrible speaker. And God said, trust me. So there are some limits to receive, and there are other limits to break through. And we do that through faith. As Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter of people who said, by faith, I'm going to trust God to do above and beyond what I and myself am able to do. Right? So we've got to feel that tension. Well, how do we lean into that tension, though? Not with just those guards, but with these guides. I think, first off, we have to ask, how has God wired us? So again, not to push the text beyond a breaking point here, but Jesus knew who he was. He was fully God. He was fully man. None of us are fully God. None of us are fully man. Right? We're fully human with the Spirit inside us. We could talk about that all day long. So how has God wired us? How has he gifted us? What's our personalities? Right? So if you're an introverted person or an extroverted person... Do you realize, sometimes people think, how could I be a part of this church that's all about being out, hanging out with so many people and all this because I'm an introvert. The extroverts are connecting everybody, right? But it's that introvert that can sit down and maybe have that one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody that we desperately need. We need both. If you resent that you're introverted and you try to be extroverted, if you resent that you're extroverted and you try to be introverted then the body of Christ misses out. If you don't like those categories, I could give you some more you don't like in all these personality tests, but listen to them. Where's their truth? Where do you need to say, like, yeah, this is, this is how God's wired me? A lot more on that, but i got to skip it. But two people, I want to say this, two different people can keep the same schedule and with the same good motives, and one be energized and one be drained. And it not be a matter of sin. How's God wired me? How has God gifted me? So everyone in here who is in Christ has a spiritual gift. And if you need help discerning that, come and see me. Right? And the way that you want to do is you want to lean into that gift. Not everyone in here has the same gift. And you're not meant to have every gift. How has God called me? What is the passion He's given you? I believe if the Spirit of God indwells you, that God is going to give you passions and desires and dreams for His kingdom. And you may not be leaning into those because you're trying to do everything. How has God situated me? Your season of life matters. And we respect that. If you're a family with little bitty babies, we don't expect you to be partying all night long. 
right? Unless that's your thing, right? If you're a, a, a person who's growing in age and heading towards retirement, it's, if you're, there's just all these different seasons of life. What if you receive that and said, God, what's the unique opportunity you've given me in this season? Limits aren't a matter of checking out for a season of life, but they are a matter of asking, what does it look like for us to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to in this season? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, there's nothing wrong with getting married, but when you get married, it changes things. Sadly, we have this view sometimes of discipleship again where it's just a one-size-fits-all. And the last question we can ask to help guide that is how are others seeing me? So you may think you're the greatest thing to come along since the Apostle Paul running around and doing everything. But how do the people who know you best experience you while you're doing that? Is it the fruits of the Spirit? Or is it you, a frenzied mess, thinking that all the world depends upon you not letting everything fall apart? We've got to know ourselves and adjust for it. Self-denial does not often look the same for everybody. I'm just We've got to wrap our heads around that. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus is not going to look the same. For you people-pleasers who are in here, especially... Self-denial is going to be meaning disappointing someone else. That's your like greatest fear, right? And we're sensitive to that. Because of your story, because of your life, you may have this thing, I will never let someone down because people have let me down so much. I will never say no because people say no to me all the time. I will always be there. I'll, I will never tell my children they can't do something. I will never do this to my parents. I'll never do this to my friends. You're not living from faith. You're living from fear. You're living out of a wound. And you justify it by saying, well, I'm denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus when all we're really doing is serving ourselves and following the enemy. Henry Nouwen says this, no two lives are the same. We often compare our lives with those of others, trying to decide whether we are better or worse off but such comparisons do not help us much. We have to live our life, not someone else's. We have to hold our own cup. We have to dare to say, this is my life, the life that is given to me, and it is the life that I have to live as well as I can. My life is unique. No one else will ever live it. I have my own history, my own family, my own body, my own character, my own friends, my own way of thinking, speaking, and acting. Yes, I have my own life to live. No one else has the same challenges. I'm unique. Many people can help me to live my life, but after it's all said and done, I have to make my choices about how to live. And that said from this aged saint who's no longer with us. This is not a call to radical individualism or no commitments, but it's a call to find ourselves rooted in Christ and in His community as we adjust based on the gift of limits. Out of this, you may just want to come up with one sentence for these areas that we believe Jesus has called us to commit to as a church, to life together in missional community, to deeper relationships and fight clubs, to a personal communion with God, to gathering together here around the Word, the table, and song. You may just come up with one sentence to say, this is how I can be present in those spaces, based on my gifting, my calling. 
It may mean that you do less, but it may mean that you actually end up doing more. So we acknowledge it, we adjust to it, and really quickly, we've got to accept it. I want to go back to this word, this phrase really quick that I underlined when I read the text. Everyone is looking for you. Man, that's a powerful phrase, isn't it? Jesus, they need you. People need to be healed. And we're not talking about like people want to have just a conversation. They need you. Everyone is looking for you. What does that activate in your emotions? Right now, imagine you get a text, you look at your phone, and it says, everyone is looking for you. My gut reaction is to be like, okay, we got to wrap this up. I got to go. I got to go. People to be healed, people to be delivered. Those are really good things, aren't they? It brings up guilt and shame and fear and the power of our past and the, and the temptation to not want to embrace our weaknesses, all the things we've been talking about. Jesus didn't hear it as some cold-hearted, careless person. How do we know that? Because these people that Jesus said no to are the very people, the very people sitting in this room as well, that Jesus was going to a cross to die for. Jesus did not let a good thing keep him from the God thing that he was called to. He did not let anything detour him from the path that the Father had laid out for him for the salvation of the world. Jesus loved all of us and all them enough to say no. A phrase I heard this week in reading this that I've really been wrestling with is Jesus would have said something like this. Well, gee, I guess you're just too busy for us. I guess you're just too busy. It's like, no, I'm not busy. I'm just limited. I'm just limited. Could, could you imagine saying that to someone else? We ought to be able to say things like that to one another. Had Jesus not walked this path to the cross that the Father gave him, then more people might have been healed, but all went to hell. Jesus was God, but he lived within his season. He went to the cross for us who try to play God, who think if we could just be organized enough, we could be everywhere all the time for, and be all things to all people. And he rose so that we can do great things in our lives, but not so that we'll do everything. We can be gloriously limited. Oh, John, illustration, removing. But we've got to receive, receive these gifts as reality and not as punishment. We, we are opening cans of worms each week in this series, and I realize it. So if you need to talk more about this with me or someone, we can help connect you. But your limits are not a punishment. God loves you. One talent, three talent, five talent, whatever you. He loves you. 
He is not wanting you to be someone else in this room or someone else on social media or somewhere else in the Christian hero world. He wants you to be you, not in this worldly sense, but the you that you are as a new creation in Christ who's filled with the Spirit, who's redeemed and restored. He wants you to resist bitterness, comparison, and competition, that social media depression. He wants you to celebrate it, not just tolerate it. One of the things that I've had, this is going to sound like common sense to you guys, and I've got to be quiet here way over time again, but is hearing this phrase, I am not for everyone. Now, this is what, what I mean by that. Not that I'm not like for you, like go, yay, but like, like not everyone's going to like me. Oh. Our church is not for everyone, not, and it's not a sin. You know, like certain things just go together. That might sound like common sense to y'all, but that's kind of like liberating my life in some ways and still really hard. We are who we are. We have limits. And we learn to say no so that we can say yes. Whether you realize it or not, every time you say yes to one thing, you are already saying no to something else. You are. And every time you say no to something, you're creating a space to say yes to something else. The question is, can you get those yeses and nos to align with the heart of God, with the way of Jesus? Then you can make the right sacrifices. Then while some dreams may die, other dreams get breath to really live. So, storage bins are helpful, especially when you're moving in your attics. But if you try to use them for what they're not created for, you're going to have a little fun, but then you're going to end up with a great fall. One person said this when he was an old man, he said, God will not ask me, why were you not Moses? He will ask you, why were you not you? Don't resent your limits. Receive them as a reality, even a gift from God.